Well, we've been in the beginning for a while, um, and you know why we've been in the beginning, because it was the beginning. We talked about the beginning of the Torah again, from creation, Adam, Noah, Avram, but we're sort of past the beginning now as we move really into the real story of things. As we know now, Avram left Ur, right? And Abraham ultimately proved himself, and surely one of the Bible's most difficult stories to comprehend, this, the, the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, when you notice I took the day off when we covered that Torah portion. That's a, it's, it's hard to explain. Prove you love me by being willing to sacrifice your son. And Judaism has, has exhausted mount, trees, forests full of paper and oceans of ink to find lessons and answers from that. But the, but the point is, he, he did it. He didn't kill his son, but he did the thing. He passed the test. Because you have done this, it says, and have not withheld your son, your favored one, I will bestow my blessing upon you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands on the seashore. And that transition right there after the Akeda creates one of the most unique moments in biblical history. Because Abraham had already received the promise in 12. Actually, Abram received the promise in Genesis 12. He'd be the father of what? Many nations. He would be, his, many would be blessed through him. He even received this monumentally, monumentally important name change. What does Avram mean? It means great father. Avraham means father of many. But I'll suggest to you that until this week's portion, Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, which is actually about the death of Sarah, that's Torah for you, um, we, we, we now get to see Avram really step into the great role of Avraham, the father of many, the father, the father who looks to the future, because that's what fathers do. And again, remember our series to this point about Adam and Noah, great, great potential within those men to serve the greater good. And, you know, but, but maybe not making the best choice in terms of, of, survive, of uh, revival. And I told you, God's greatest heroes have their eye on the eye on the future, I should say. The greater good is in mind. So let me, let me clarify that ramble just a bit to, to kind of show you how important the events are in this week's portion that we read. But, but actually, let me give you first another little life lesson ramble as I was pondering Avraham. I'm going to have to trade. Um, who, who knows the term foreboding joy? Anyone ever heard that term? I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't know who made it up. The term foreboding joy. I first learned it from Brene Brown. And here's what foreboding joy means. It means that no matter how good things are in your life, inevitably, you're waiting for the bad thing that's going to come right on the heels of it. And this sounds funny because we're like, well, that's, that's, that's not me. But the thing is, we Look, I just had this great experience, but that can only mean something bad is coming. Like, I'm getting married, b- 
but what if he cheats on me and divorces me? Or, or I just had a baby, but I just had a grandson. We, we, had a, we have a grandchild. Oh my gosh, we have to trust our kids to raise them? They can't do that. What if something bad? I just got an incredible promotion at work, but, but then they're going to expect a lot more of me and I'm going to end up getting fired. That's the idea of foreboding joy, that I have something monumentally great going on, but it couldn't last, because that's just the way the world is. It's what always happens. And you know, certainly I'm the only one in the room who's ever experienced that, I know, but I thought recently about Abraham experiencing such such a thing. And I like to think about biblical heroes in modern times, because guess what? They're human and so, so are we. I thought about Abraham and I wondered if, if he ever had a little bit of foreboding joy that informed his, his decision to go up the mountain. I love this, this picture that Cody sent me this, this week from Babylon B. Do, do I need to explain it? I mean, I laughed. I thought maybe you guys... Okay. No more father-son camping trips, Dad. I, don't, I, I just didn't like that. But um, I, I've thought, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Abraham had this, this foreboding joy going on. Like, wow, Sarah, God's going to bless us. It's going to be miraculous. We're going to have a chill children, child. We're going to be the father of many generations. It's miraculous. But wait a minute. It is miraculous. Too miraculous. Too good to be true. This couldn't happen. What if what, something bad might happen? And all of a sudden, sure enough, you get the call. Take your son, your only son, the one I gave you, the one with the promise, the one that the whole world's going to be blessed through. Take him, take him up the mountain and kill him. I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. Let's go, Isaac. Of course, you know, it's, it's, it's a very cynical look at uh, Abraham. And of course, I don't really think that is because we, we talk about his total faith, his, his rock solid commitment to God that took him up that mountain. And I believe that. But I believe for all of us, at times we struggle with the inner voice. But he said, I'll do it. But I knew this was going to happen. And he does it. And he does it. He takes his son up there. His hand is in the air. And guess what? It doesn't happen. The bad thing doesn't happen, which is so often the case when we make up these scenarios. I just used it this week. Michelle de Montaigne, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. It's the best quote. As on the other side, Abraham gets this, this promise, you know, and that's, that's your little bonus lesson embedded in this other message that has nothing to do with anything other than enjoy the good enjoy the moments be present in the moment of joy don't look forward to even even more good things but certainly not bad things when you're present in a moment of joy embrace it be there fully take it and receive it because you see, on the other side, Abraham got a, a, a confirmed blessing. A confirmed blessing. As I read you earlier, because you did this, I'll bestow my blessing upon you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. 
For Abraham, that hardest and highest test, literally, is a realization. Wow, God is really going to do this. He is absolutely faithful. This is going to happen. All the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants because you've obeyed my command. Sarah, we're going to be the parents of many. Incredible. And he goes home, which takes us to our Torah portion to find what? His wife is dead. Chaye Sarah. After the Akedah, after the binding of Isaac, Sarah dies. And that's bad. That is a bad thing. Well, sort of. But Abraham had a choice. He could have handled it one of two ways. Foreboding joy. I knew it. I knew it. We, Isaac, we had this monumental mountaintop experience. God speaks to us, confirms the thing. And I come home and my wife is dead. I knew it. You know, I read an interesting thing that gave you one perspective on Noah. You know, Noah could have also suffered from the same thing as we've talked about and learned. Oh man, that ark thing. Wow, that was phenomenal. But we're off of it. We're into the new world. Amazing. Let's build something. But, but if we build it, they'll be the same people and they'll be bad. Let's not do that. It'll just go bad again. But that's not how Abraham chose to respond. Because that's not what great fathers do. That's not what people with an eye to the future do. The truth is, for Abraham, it is sad. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, now Hebron, in the land of Canaan. Abraham proceeded to mourn for Sarah and bewail her. But notice, he didn't stay there. There's one sentence dedicated to that. One sentence. He didn't handle it with foreboding joy and get down in the dumps and say, oh, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. He handled it with the eye to the future. The, this, this too is for the good response, which is very, very hard to say when you're in the midst of a trial. Very hard. But he did. He handled it with the I serve the greater good response. I have a mission response. Then it says, Abraham rose from beside his dead and spoke to the Hittites saying, and what does he do? He goes to Ephron the Hittite and he says, I need to buy a burial place. I want to buy a burial place for my wife. But it's not just any burial place. It's the cave called Machpelah. And I did a message. I couldn't find it, so I don't know where to review it to send you to. But it was about the cave of Machpelah. This is not just any cave that Abraham bought. It's a very special cave. But he went to Ephron and he asked, you know, can I, can I buy this? And he paid an exorbitant price for this piece of land in the cave that was on it. But this is where our story turns. This is the highest development. This is the beginning of the future of God's people right here. Because this is the first of three legitimate claims to land in the land of Israel. The cave of Machpelah, the field. David bought something, remember, in Jerusalem. David bought the Temple Mount. He purchased it from Aravna, the Jebusite. And, and Yaakov, Jacob, purchased land, Nablus, a, part, a section anyway, in Shechem. So this, though, was the dedication. This was the point at which Abraham purchased land that would forever be something to the Jewish people and to all people through the father of many nations. 
He was mission-minded. God is faithful. He's tasked me with being the father of many. My wife is gone. I'm heartbroken, but I will use her memory to build the greater good. I will secure a place in the land for generations to come. You know what the other big task that he did right then? Is he found a wife for his son. So his wife died, and he secured land for the future generations, and he secured people, generations for the future generations. That's what he rose up and did. Because he had the eye for the future. And he purchased what could have been given. That Ephron was going to give it to him, but that wouldn't make the deal happen. That had strings attached. They could take it back. So he purchased it. Now I want to show you something super cool I came across. About why the high price he paid for the land was so important. The Torah tells this story of the purchase in great detail between Ephron and Abraham. It says that he paid 400 silver shekels for this land. Now you got to tune into this, okay? The Torah tells us in Leviticus 27 that the, the, um, the value of a piece of land, uh, 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 the value of land in biblical times was 50 silver shekels. Okay? That would buy you uh, 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 75,000 cubits. Okay? 50 silver shekels would buy you 75,000 cubits. So 400 shekels would buy you about 600,000 cubits. You with me so far? Yes. The space one human takes up is about one square cubit. Okay? So Abraham secured 600,000 cubits. One cubit is about the space a man takes up. Oh, I don't know what size, man. The generation of Jews which left Egypt and received the Torah at Mount Sinai numbered some 600,000 souls. Our sages tell us that the Jewish nation consists of 600,000 souls and the soul of every Jew who ever lived is an outcropping of those 600,000 which Abraham purchased from Ephron in the field and the cave of Machpelah. So, that's why he gets the title, Father of Many, God's Friend. That's one of many reasons. Patriarch of Patriarchs. And this is why he gets so... You can see Abraham serving others. Now, there's no way to know that that's exact, but it's really cool. And sometimes cool is cool. It's a beautiful reminder of a man committed to a mission. Even when, even when you can't necessarily see the mission... Even if you can't comprehend. And sometimes we don't know what God is actually doing. All we do is take the faithful step. And the portion of that story ends. The field and the cave that is in it, is in it passed from the Hittites into Abraham's possession as a burying place. That's what Abraham did. After monumental challenges and good things and bad things. Now, let me make a strange jump from there, and it won't be strange when I finish, but stay with me. The idea of mission, faith, 
trust in the unseen, the belief that God is working among us, a commitment for us as mission-minded to the commission of our Master, to make disciples around the world, to serve with an eye to the future, eye to the greater good, to live outside ourselves is the lesson we take from Abraham. And we take that from him even more than most other biblical heroes. He was constantly a servant. Now, for the most part, religious institutions through the ages have done a lot of things for the greater good. Churches in particular. Churches who go across land and sea, right, to make disciples and and projects and send missionaries and build schools and dig wells and orphanages and teaching, sending Bibles, books, medical care, that list goes on and on. Not to mention the evangelism and the saving souls part, though if I had something to do with that, we'd approach that differently. But the Jewish synagogue also, Chabad as an example, the great strengthening of Judaism around the world, and a lot of Jewish charities and organizations and congregations, they're, they're Jew-centric missions. But they're still doing great things. But Israel, Israel sends humanitarian aid all over the place. When the last natural disaster, big one, I can't remember what it was. Israel was the first country to have teams on the land. It may have been um, Haiti. I can't remember. But anyway, all of this mission-minded, greater good stuff. The church and the synagogue, these are good things to do. And it's a little bit of a different focus than what Abraham was doing, but the core component is that greater good thing. Improving the world, making the world a better place, giving a brighter future, a path for the future. Now, as I contemplated for Shalom Macon, a community in Macon with a, you know, people all, all over outside, I asked myself, where do we fit into this greater good picture with all that we're learning from Abraham and the lessons about not just surviving, but thriving and, and, and you know, how, what, what are we going to do? What's our future? What do we want to start thinking about as the year comes to an end? What should we be thinking about investing in? Like Abraham, when he invested in this very expensive cave in Machpelah in this field for the greater good. What should we be doing? And then Rabbi Appreciation Day came along. And I received like all of these incredible, beautiful cards with, and pictures from all the kids. And just like, just incredibly emotional things and emails and gifts and I promise you if those thank you notes are coming I'll get them out very soon but what they said of course of course within all of these notes and messages were hey we appreciate you and I appreciate being appreciated and I think it's incredible and amazing and I'm, I'm flabbergasted and, and it's beyond anything I've ever seen to, to be loved and respected and, and, and just uh, have so many friends and people around me. But that wasn't really what the messages were about in all of these cards or any of these messages. It wasn't about me. It was about what's been built here. It was about partially, you know, the energy and the time and the passion and the blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, there are some tears that has been planted and done for the greater good. And I read a lot of things about how lives have been impacted by being here. 
And I, I, I don't remember who said all these things, but I just want to share a couple of them because it's not shouldn't just be my experience. I don't remember. I do remember Joanna Kinch, Joanna and Ralph in the UK. I remember Joanna sharing somewhere, maybe on a First Roots of Zion page. Shalom Macon is a lifeline for us. I saw someone else write, it's an oasis. Someone described it as an oasis, an answer to prayer, a miracle, their family, their home, people from hundreds or thousands of miles away describing it as their home in these cards. And I remember like when we had set up for Shavuot and people walking in and just the statement, oh my gosh, I feel at home, and smiles from ear to ear, and even tears in Macon. <laughs> Most people cry tears of joy when they leave Macon. That's only because we're going to Israel. I remember that. And, and I don't share these enough, but if I could tell you the number of emails and messages and comments that, that I have the incredible pleasure of seeing from people whose lives have been changed, their, their, their faith has been strengthened, their understanding deepened, their love of God, their connection to Yeshua is, is like in a new place, whether they participate in live stream, listen to a podcast, come to one of these events that we hosted. Being impacted on shalom at home, knowing that there's a community there. Knowing they're being prayed for. And I got this email that I have to read. I didn't ask permission, but Diana, I hope you don't care. Good morning, Rabbi Damien. I wanted to let you know I'm against waterproof mascara. (laughs) Now, I get a lot of weird messages, too. I won't share those with you. But this one, I was like, oh, buddy, this should be good. Do you know that Satan is in waterproof masking? I was I was waiting to see what the thing was going to be. I'm against waterproof mascara. But here's what it said. Good morning, Rabbi. Want to let you know I'm against waterproof mascara. And there's this. Monday through Friday, I have an hour, sometimes an hour and a half commute time from my house to my place of work. It's white knuckle driving in the heart of traffic. During this time, I listen to the podcast messages. Grip on the steering wheel disappears, and the commute is my favorite part of the day. And there's this. I sob and I laugh during the drive, sometimes arriving at my destination looking like a raccoon. (laughs) Upon my arrival, when I'm asked, what's up? It's an opportunity to share Shalom Macon. No waterproof mascara for me. That was good. In all seriousness, thank you. Again and again, thank you. The community is making a huge difference deep in the hearts of Texas. And it made me think, all of these things make me think, I think a lot. Our mission as a Messianic Jewish synagogue, Jewish synagogue, at least right now, may not be to build wells or travel across the world to build orphanages and do all of those things. Now, that may sound shocking or selfish or shallow, but, you know, sometimes I am shocking. It's just the way I am. But I really honestly think our mission is right here for now, right here, right here, to build 
to invest in this unique calling and unique time and a unique movement in the world today because here's the deal, there aren't a lot of Shalom Meccans out there. Actually, there may not be any Shalom Meccans out there. There may not be, and that's not a haughty statement. Listen, there are tons of churches all over the place doing amazing work, praise God, and synagogues and Jewish missions helping everywhere, Baruch Hashem. There are millions and millions post-COVID, millions of Christians streaming Sunday churches and getting connected. I did a podcast with a, a guy from Gateway Church in Dallas. 26 million people a week hearing that message out of Gateway. Even within our community, the, the, the Rileys in Columbia, Missouri, building wells and saving the traffic. There's a lot of good stuff going on, praise God. But I honestly think we serve a unique and different purpose for now, right here. And I see those messages, emails, cards about what we're doing in this seemingly little small piece of land in Macon that that is able to provide this, like a little burial cave that started something massive and created something really special. I read them. I know we're unique in what we provide. There aren't hundreds of lifelines for Ralph and Joanna Kinch in the United Kingdom. The thing about an oasis, it may have been Brenda Trobaugh who said that. The thing about an oasis is they're rare. You're struggling, you're thirsty, you're wandering, and then you come across an oasis and you're like, oh, thank you, God. Quench my thirst. And I'm not saying any of that in a, from a haughty place. I don't have to say anything because the people speak. And it is my job to build a home for the homeless, to tend the flock. And I hate to use the word homeless, it has a very negative connotation. But let's face it, how many people in this room have ever had an ostracizing moment from people that were once your greatest friends or even within your own family? And they said, why do you do that weird stuff? (laughs) Don't you know you're putting yourself under the law? Don't you know? I mean, whatever, the list is 500 items of why the word homeless can apply to us. And my job is to build a home, a community, to invest in the current and the next generations. I'm not buying a burial cave, thank God, but that burial cave was much more than that for Abraham. It was the investment in the future of the promise that God made to him. And he took a step because he knew his mission, he knew his calling, and I know our mission and calling. And I'm supposed to, because I'm standing up here. You are our unique mission. Whether you're sitting in these seats or you're podcasting or sound clouding or I don't know what you're doing, YouTubing from from wherever, you are our mission. And I'm not equating myself with Abraham, but I am saying that I never, ever, ever, ever would have imagined, ever, 
what could be done or known through this little place. And the people, all of the people who God has brought here to serve all of you everywhere. Because it's not just what happens here or there. It's a community of people. And listen, that's that community being a blessing to the nations, and I literally mean the nations, people all around the world. It's, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. And it's good for us in Macon to be a part of that, to be a part of that and to see it happen. And we're thankful. And listen, I, I, I here's, you don't want to know something amazing? I don't have one single milli ounce of foreboding joy about that. I'm not saying to myself, wow, this is really good right now. When's it going to implode? Because I have an eye for the future. I have a belief that God has called us to a mission and there's something great that we need to do. And he will help us do it if we take steps to do it. So we're, we'll, I'll take an uncomfortable action step right now and tell you we're going to invest in this place. And I want to, you know, as we move to the end of 2022 and move into plans for years ahead, I want to invite you to participate in that. And no, actually, I'm not inviting you. I'm going to ask you to participate in that with intention and dedication and knowing that it's part of the greater good that we're all building together. It's more than an invitation. Now, some people might find it odd for a synagogue to have a year-end, a year-end giving appeal. And maybe, but that is actually not something I can care about right now because I have to be mission-minded because here's what I've done. I've experienced the past. I've seen where we've come from. I'm living the present. I'm enjoying it. I'm celebrating it. But you don't just stop in the good. You keep on going. So I can see the future, not because I'm a prophet or anything like that, because this is just the thing I've been tasked to do. So God's given me that, at least, to take a step. It is more than a synagogue here, more than the cave was just a cave. It accomplishes a purpose that affects lives around the world. Your life, I hope. I hope you're sitting in the seats or you're listening. So I have to be this mission-minded person. And we need to make this place a place that welcomes the world to come to, of all places, Macon. Shalom making to come home. And you might only be able to do that once a year, depending on where you are. Ralph and Joanna, start saving now for, uh, you know, Shavuot or something. Flights are, flights are expensive from England, but we want to see you. All, the whole England crew. And, and South Africa and Tunisia and Australia and everywhere else. But we need to, we need to have the, the bigger vision, even if you only can come Rarely, But I'll tell you a long time ago, and I will not belabor this point, but I'm going to tell you that when we first were given this land, actually, we we invested something in the land. But in essence, in essence, we were given it. I remember the vision and shared it with the board of elders that time of building a Messianic Jewish study center, a community that would invite people from all over the world to come here. And, you know, it's interesting, land. It starts with land. Started with land for Abraham. It starts with land. It says we're planted. 
This is where we're planted and we're planting. But I was somewhat like Abraham when God said, Hey, Abe, you're going to have an incredible future with thousands of generations upon generations. And Abram was like, wow, that's really awesome. Um, problem. We're old and we don't have any kids. And I've felt that many times about that idea of a Messianic Jewish study center in a community. When the years were tough and the things were lean through here, I was sort of like Abraham. Um, problem. Nobody wants anything to do with us. Um, how, do you, how should we fix that, God? But now I can see that. Now I can see it. And I always knew, you know, we're an hour south of the busiest airport in the world. And, and we, we could build more than just a study center, and that's really what we need to do. We need to build a community. We need to build a community. And you have to start somewhere. So that's what I propose we do, is I propose that we make it possible for us to host more people and more things. And I don't know when, and I don't have any plans to put up on the board. This would be a typical building drive for me. You know, you go to a really big, nice mega church. They've got handouts and envelopes and the architect comes in and they got the full scale model. And this is what we want to do. I'm like, trust me, it's all in here. <laughs> Just trust me. But the thing is, I do have the vision. And I know that we're capable of doing it. And it will start with small steps. And we start with out here, build a fellowship hall, build a kitchen. We have a, the kitchen is about the size. I wear a size 13 shoe. You could fit our kitchen in one of my boot boxes. But I imagine, see, I picture all of it. Shavuot last year, Shelly and Scotty and the whole Shavuot team. They're like, they're like, you guys stand up, stand up, stand up. Come here, come here, come here. Here, 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 the, here we are in the kitchen working. <laughs> Everybody who came in was like, we want to help. Sorry, there's no room. Go sit down out there. But when you have the space, people come in and they say, we want to help. Great, get on the carrots. And there's your area, and we can do it. And then we can have this space out here and add classrooms and a conference space where people can come in and speak, and we can really do the Messianic Jewish Study Center thing. And then maybe the next step is out there. That running around the kitchen got me out of breath. <laughs> build, build some Shabbat homes. With a community kitchen, but space for families to be in there and connect together. Come in town. Do it. And I don't know when, because, you know, here's the thing. If you build it, they will come. That's not exactly true. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is ask people to help you build it, usually. And then when you do that, and they come, they're invested and it's a part of them. It's a part of their heart. And that's really where it starts. I could stand up here with all the plans and all the blueprints and every other thing under the sun. 
But it's something you got to feel. It's something you got to be connected to. It's something that you have to want to see prosper. And it's something that you need to see beyond the now. It's something that you need to see for this little room of people, but all the other people and the kids, the generations. The generations that could be affected by what we do. So, I will ask straight up, straight up, for you to give a generous end of year giving to this Shalom Macon Synagogue or set up to give ongoing giving until we get it done. When do we get it done? I don't know the answer to that. Things are expensive. That's just the way it is. But I'd love to see, not next Shabbat, uh, not next, yeah, next Shabbat, I plan to have a fellowship hall. Shabbat. Next, Passover's in four months, but Passover 2024, to imagine inviting three or four hundred people in to celebrate a Passover Seder together. And then to do Shavuot and to do the holidays together and have other things and all of it. I can see it, but we got to work to get there. And that's what I want to invite you to be a part of. So do that. If you already give, thank you. I'm, I mean, it's, it's not just in here. There's, a, there's amazing giving that comes from the online community. And thank you for that. Consider if there's something else you can do to be a part of this. If you don't give, would you? If you're not a part of supporting the thing right now, would you be? Would you help so that more people can experience the thing that draws you here, that makes you a part of the community, and that we can share that with other people? That's my invitation. Shalomakin.org forward slash giving. You can go to our webpage, shalomakin.org, and there's a button that says give now, and there's another one that says donate. And I'll try to be more intentional about it and give you a way that you can actually do that with some intention and dedication. But that's my invitation, but really more than that. And so I'm going to conclude that. I'm going to say this. Abraham asked to buy Ephron's field for the future of the generations and the next chapter of the story because he was the father looking to the future. I'm not your father, but I am the leader that you have tasked me to be, hopefully. And I am the one who has the vision, and I will do it alongside you, not in front of you. But I have only to be able to ask. Now, in all honesty, as I was putting this all together, I didn't really realize that next Tuesday is called Giving Tuesday. Okay? There is such a thing. And so I thought about this, and I thought, gosh, maybe I should have done it next week. No, here's what I realized. I do this right now because then when your inbox is flooded with all of the people asking you for money for Giving Tuesday, it'll prompt you to remember what we're doing here in this little community, and you can be a part of that. Okay? But I'll start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to implement something else. This is called Thanking Saturday. <laughs> Thank you, wherever you are. Here, there, way over there, wherever you are. Thank you for just letting us be a part of what's happening here and the amazing things that are ahead. So incredibly grateful. So grateful. So may God bless 
the work of our hands together. And may he bless all of you. Shabbat Shalom.